0: From recruiting and consulting firm Ryderflex, I'm your host Steve Urban, and here is your Ryderflex podcast episode of the day. Nina Beliga and Joe Thurman on the Rider Flex podcast. How you doing, guys? Good. Doing great. Good. Are you, are you both in? Uh, are you in Boulder, Denver? Where are you today, Nina?
1: I'm in Boulder.
0: Are you okay,
2: Joe? Uh, Denver. Yeah, oh. right outside of Denver.
0: Okay, I'm up uh, near Loveland. So we're all pretty close. Exactly, same time. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get a little snow at your place yesterday?
1: I got about half a foot right in my neighborhood.
0: <laughs> really?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think Boulder always just gets hit with more snow than everywhere else. I mean, I love it. I, I absolutely love the snow. That's why I moved to Colorado. I wanted to be near the snow. I wanted to be near the mountains. So every time it snows, I'm I'm pumped.
0: You know, we needed the moisture, right? I mean, those fires were crazy, right? I mean, it's yeah. been super oh, dry. Yeah. No,
1: super dry. absolutely. It was, it was running
0: by camping fall. I, I love to go camping in the fall and I go, usually go Northwest in Colorado and, uh, damn, I, you know, that was Canyon Lakes Ranger District is my area, that's that's my area. And it was killing me, killing me with the fires this year. That was a bummer, but I'm glad we need the moisture. So it's yeah. all good, I'll take a bunch of snow.
2: Exactly, absolutely. so true.
0: So let's find out something about you guys personally before we get into business and before we get into interview. Ia, um, Nina, let's start with you. Why don't you give us the the, the personal overview, a little family history, a little, little little college stuff. Go for it.
1: Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm I'm the child of immigrants. Uh, my parents immigrated here from India back in the 1970s. Both me and my brother were born and raised here. I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, did my undergrad in New York City. um, And then I actually, um, I was actually in New York City during 9-11. And Mm. so that was actually a pretty formative experience for me. I had just started a job on Wall Street on September 10th, 2001. And when the towers went down, um, the world completely changed. I think growing up in, um, you know, kind of suburban white America, I had always been aware of the color of my skin, but I don't think I recognized Um, kind of how, Mm -hmm. how having brown skin in this country could be really different. And so um, after 9-11 happened, I actually pivoted careers and uh, got really into social justice and social activism. Mm -hmm. So I ended up spending 10 years in the nonprofit world, working largely with communities of color um, to really figure out how can we build a more equitable world. Um, And I started with the nonprofit angle, but I pivoted into tech taught myself front-end web development user experience design and ended up um, doing that for quite some time before when I moved to Colorado, actually, I I ended up um, joining a a coding competition, a hackathon called Go Code Colorado. And that was actually the first time I met Joe. Joe was um, on the panel of judges because my team ended up becoming one of the finalists in the competition because we had built an app that would help uh, text, uh, would help... um, Companies that were really trying to build inclusive teams to connect with tech talent from Colorado's colleges and universities and to connect with underrepresented people from those universities. So Joe was a judge. I actually didn't, Uh we did not win that competition, but that was okay. Because Joe came up to me afterwards and he said, what you're doing is really important and we need to figure out how to do this together. And he was pretty much the person that got me started on my entrepreneurial path. So you don't,
0: hold, you don't hold it against him that you didn't win the contest.
1: Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> I You know, I think you meet you meet everyone for a reason in some way or another. And um, you know, he was he was our biggest supporter. Like he ended up being on our board of advisors. So I ended up launching a startup. So that was kind of the first entrepreneurial experience I got to experience. I created a startup called Diversity with another woman on the team, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, our goal was really to start building a more equitable tech industry. Um, and so uh, doing that, I just learned so much about how do you build teams where everyone can feel seen, valued, and heard. And um, when Joe uh, was on his entrepreneurial journey, getting ready to launch interview IA, uh, I got the opportunity to join the team and kind of be part of this founding team from the ground up. And I was totally pumped and excited to do it. So uh, that's you know, kind of how I, I got to where I am today.
0: Do you know how many people I meet that, you know, majored as a sociology major and then nonprofit and then somehow taught themselves UX design and then became an entrepreneur? Do you know how many people I've met with that path? Not many. I don't really know many. A lot? Not really no.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, to me, that just seems like a normal path.
0: That's the standard.
1: <laughs> oh, and I got an MBA in there somewhere in the middle. I
0: saw of that. that. I saw that. What, U of F, were you living down there at the time?
1: Yeah, I lived in Florida for a while. I actually spent my time between um, Tallahassee and Miami. And um, I did uh, an internet MBA before they became popular. This was like back in 2005. So it was kind of revolutionary back then to do it. But it was uh, an incredible experience. Are
0: you you, uh, hooked on Colorado now? Are you here? Are you a lifer? Boulder? Is it for you?
1: I think so. I think this is the place for me.
0: <laughs> it's, it's kind of hard to beat, isn't it? I mean, Colorado's a pretty special place, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, really
1: absolutely. Life. The community, the startup community here in particular is just really, I don't think I could have created a startup yeah. any other place that I've ever lived, to be honest. Um, the Colorado startup community is just so giving and supportive mm-hmm. and generous, and it's not cutthroat competitive. It's really recognizing that helping everyone out is gonna raise everyone. And I haven't, I don't think that would have ever happened in San Francisco, New York or other places I've lived.
0: Yeah, it's so, it's so true. Joe, give us the, give us the Joe Thurman story real quick. Go for it.
2: All uh, right. Yeah. Well, for one, Nina gives me a little bit too much credit when it comes to her entrepreneurial journey. I'm sure she is just going to do it anyway, but I'm glad, I'm glad I had a little bit to do with the nudge. Um, so Yeah, I was born uh, on the East Coast. My dad was in the Air Force. So I was born randomly outside of Cape Cod, Massachusetts in a small place called Hyannis, Massachusetts. He was uh, on a Coast Guard base in space systems, just working in the Air Force. He got stationed in NORAD, so in the mountain, and and that's how our family ended up in Colorado. So myself, um, my older brother and younger sister, we were all raised here from from a really young age. Uh, So for me, you know, in high school, I was going to high school at a time when Cisco Networks was bringing technology into the high school. So they were going deep into the pipeline. So I was playing football on one side or in an actual computer lab, like the other the other half of my schedule. So hacking on oh. routers and switches and fell in love with tech. And, you know, ultimately, you know, that's what won out in, in my life as far as what I was more passionate about. And for many reasons, you know, had just some options to go play football, but mm. um, like the tech route and went a little bit more modest route because of some different things going on with my family. I went to Colorado Tech here locally and okay. worked through that. Um, from there, I was in different roles around marketing for technology and that kind of stuff, but ended up in talent. So I've been in talent for about 15 years. Uh, I was just passionate about technology, talent, helping people build teams. Um, so you get all of that, Steve, you know what it means to build a team and help people right. find that next role. And I was always very... Uh, passionate about helping people align their purpose and their passions with you know a mission a mission of some sort within an organization unfortunately I didn't always find that you know in in the technology staffing world is so transactional that sometimes it falls into you know but in seat because of speed <laughs> so right. I'm trying to make purpose with passion and someone wants me to connect but with seat and it's just slightly different right <laughs> so I had also uh, over those years, about eight years of just working in, in staffing. I had gotten into executive placement, so placed everything from CIOs, CTOs, CEOs, and that's where I really did find that you know the the purpose, passion, alignment, the transferable skills that someone brings to the table really shine when you're looking for someone in a leadership role. So I really started to find my home there, um, but it was still relatively transactional. So I decided I just needed to find a better way to um, ignite my personal passion. I didn't know what it was, but I wanted to help people really connect to something meaningful. And so that's the start, not really the start. I had launched a different company before that while I was still employed with it. It was a startup in the insurance space. It was a tech company, kind of cool, but definitely did not work out the way I expected. So that's my first entrepreneurial journey of my, uh, my lessons, but my full burn the boats, go into entrepreneurial journey that's what started it about six years ago. You know, I just reached a point where um, I was probably at the top of my career financially, doing really, really well, as you can do in the talent space, but I just needed to go find my purpose. And so I made a conscious decision that, you know, if if I never make far above, you know, some six-figure number again in my life, but I wake up every day going after something that I care about, then I'm okay with that. Bingo. And that started me down the path of, you know, just chasing what ultimately, You fast forward many stories, many pivots, many other things later got us to interview IA. So, was
0: Jobber Group though, is what you that's when you burned the boats and went all in?
2: Correct. Jobber Group. Yeah, we were, we were, uh, it's a funny story. You know, Jobber Group started as a blog. And so we launched a blog for executives. This was before LinkedIn was where you published all your content, it was for executives to build their brand. And so the original version was called Jobber Tech Talk. And we had the CIO of NASA and Dropbox and all these people. But then yes, through just listening to what they needed, it pivoted into a talent consulting company and it blended executive relationships with all of the talent knowledge. And that's what got us down this deep path of solving a very uh, big problem for companies when they're trying to build teams.
0: And then you met Nina and Nina was part of Jobber a little bit in some way. And then at some point you guys said, wait a minute, we got another idea. Let's start interview IA. Is that, I know it's a short version, but is that kind of how it happened?
2: (laughs) I really wish, I really wish that was exactly how this happened. If it was that smooth and simple, this would be a very, (laughs) but yeah, for the sake of time, let's just say that, yeah, along with, so we brought other people in, we built this, Nina and I really connected through um, her platform and then also the launching of what is now the digital training that is included in InterviewIA. So uh, an organization called Breaking the Bias, which was going out, training people on unconscious bias, how it comes to life and building teams. And so through many moving pieces and the early version of InterviewIA, which has been around for almost four years now, when we built the earliest version under Java Group, all things collide into a really exciting story of how 2020 gets us to, to something super cool with Interview IA.
0: Nina, why don't you give us the Interview IA elevator pitch, the three-minute, like, boom, tell us about it. Go for it.
1: Oh, gosh, that's too much pressure. No, I'm going to ask Joe to do it. I, I, oh, I just couldn't okay. do it under pressure. Not it, with Joe. Joe right here.
2: That's <laughs> <laughs> no, funny. Yeah. Um, so ultimately, Interview IA is a platform that's focused on changing the way that we build teams, right? When you think of what exists from a technology standpoint, and everything is from your ATS to some technology that's matching technology, one thing we say internally is that it doesn't take an applicant tracking system um, to cure cancer or to get people to Mars, but it does take a good team. So where are the platforms and the processes that are really focused on decision support when it comes to how am I selecting and building a team. So when you think of what interview IA is at its core, it's a process management tool. The interview process is generally a black box. (laughs) We could tell you what our original name was before interview IA, but we're not going to do that. It was (laughs) (laughs) so, but keeping that in mind that that black box that is really the interview where people go into a room No one has this data. No one knows what's happening across multiple organizations and all these conversations, yet it has a huge impact on the outcome. So we're a process management tool around how can we drive better decisions around who you hire? Can we make better interviewers, better interview processes and operationalize through tech? That's pretty much what we do.
0: Okay, let me ask you some questions around anything you want to add to that, Nina? No, I I
1: mean, I think he he summarized it really well. I think one of the uh, important things as it relates to kind of what's happening in the world today specifically is recognizing that there is a lack of equity in in the workforce right now. It's really, there's a lot of barriers to uh, really kind of not only um, getting jobs for people from underrepresented groups, but to really rise within the ranks. And a lot of companies are really trying to tackle that problem of, how do we actually start building teams that are more diverse and how do we start building mm-hmm. teams that are more inclusive? And, um, I think one of the things that we're really track, uh, tackling in a, in an innovative way is really around how can we help companies like really build those teams in a way that can actually start tackling these like lack of lack of equity across society and at companies itself. Um, and so it's That's partly it. the the process, but I think that also the training components that we include are really key because, uh, you can't really fix stuff until you kind of fix people behind things. And uh, I think that that's a big differentiator for how we're, we're going about tackling this problem.
0: Is it, is it Joe, uh, layman's terms for me, is it does it replace your applicant tracking system? Is it, is, it an app, is it a beefed up version of an applicant tracking system um, or it's on top of your ap- applicant tracking system?
2: Yeah, so the way we talk about it is if you think of applicant tracking systems, they go 10 miles wide on source to hire. We go 10 miles deep on decision support. What is the interviewer behavior? What are they looking at, listening for, seeing? So it's a really innovative way that we create data from interviews, from the actual conversation that you and I are having or Nina and I are having. How do we turn that into data, minimize subjectivity, and drive that into decision support? Imagine if the Hundredth time that you hire a call center worker or a developer, even the tenth time, you're so much smarter than the first time. So that's just foundationally what it does. It's decision support in that whole process of this unmeasured conversation that is an interview. So it, this
0: is a SaaS product that I purchase on top of my applicant tracking system. Is that is that too in, simplified? Creates, I don't know if. Yeah. Is that, right. yeah. Okay, so all right, and, and I'm using this, does it integrate with my applicant tracking system or I'm open, opening that up? And I'm, how, how does that work together? Can you give me some?
2: <laughs> totally, yeah, no, it integrates. So I mean, is, uh, integration is key, right? And the primary integrations are applicant tracking systems. Candidates come in there, we don't do anything with sourcing, but once you get into the screening process, what your applicant tracking system doesn't do is measure all of what's happening to get to that disposition. So yeah, we pull and push from an applicant tracking system, but fully full integration is the goal. I mean, we're a startup, so we're not fully integrated with every ATS at this date. But yeah, that's that's exactly how how it has to work. Single sign-on. Um,
0: I'm guessing Nina that you're pushing your developers as fast as you can to be integrated with all the. the oh the...
1: yeah, I mean, I think like the integration is like just abs- absolutely is key. But I think uh, another really key component is the usability. And okay. so one of the things that we wanna do is just make this as seamless as possible because I think right now, like talking to a lot of companies, one of the biggest pain points is really just organizing the interviewers too to make sure that they have a really easy process associated with like being able to start an interview, conduct an interview, um, be able to like submit their, their uh, kind of uh, results from it and so, um, and then just to be able to, like as a manager who's making these decisions to be able to easily just get a quick snapshot that that can help them make the best decisions too in a really easily digestible way. So, you know, creating a really good user experience, making sure that there's just like high quality usability um, that just takes away all the cognitive load from the stress of interviewing. Um, is also really kind of, um, honestly, like as a UX designer, that's like one of the fun things to work on.
0: And where are you in the life cycle of the business then? Are you are you in revenue phase now? Are you are you raising cash? Walk us through some of the, where are you at in the timeline, Joe?
2: Yeah, so both, both are happening simultaneously. Uh, okay. So we are, well, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're, we're bringing in revenue, and uh, but we're also in raise mode. So we're going through a raise right now. Uh, but we also have our early adopter sales. So people are already signing contracts with us, uh, which is pretty exciting. Um, nice. and obviously the more contracts we sell, the easier our raise goes. So that's, right. that's kind of how it works, but you know, it's, it's definitely been good. You know, we are a, uh, a team that's been together for quite some time because of our predecessor, the product though, it is newly launched and generally available, won't be out fully until January 1st. We're already putting on early beta. People are already buying okay. and, and will be on the platform. So early adopters pay now, get on in January. Um, and they're getting, you know, some grandfathered pricing for that. But oh. ultimately, the key is um, creating that data, creating that usability. And so it's, it's exciting with where we're at and, and the team that really is, is driving this thing forward and what we're building right now.
0: Now, neither one of you guys are developers, right? You're not, it's not like you can code. I don't, I don't know. maybe you can Nina. Can you, I don't know. Are you writing some of the code?
1: <laughs> I am not writing any of the code, even though uh, I do have some uh, experience doing uh, front-end web development. Uh, luckily, we have a much more talented group of people <laughs> with a lot more experience coding everything and building the product.
0: Now, how'd you do this, Joe? Uh, did you guys raise enough cash to pay these developers or did you bootstrap it with your... With your co-founders i don't know how how much you want to share but how did you get from ramen noodles to uh, you know a a SaaS program that was launchable enough to drive revenue how'd you do that
2: yeah uh, so definitely a little bit more of an unorthodox path but i think something that is is a reason that we're having so much early success so bootstrap is where i come from that's what i i understand that's what i've built before uh, and the first version of this, as we alluded to under Jobber Group, the MVP was a hack together site, right, that we had built a platform for us to test this about four years ago. Uh, and so this has been a slow process of really building, testing, finding ways to get it rebuilt in an enterprise ready stack uh, of technology uh, that that, we're, that truly is enterprise ready. And so there's a, lit, a lot of challenges with turning from a service company to a product company. Mm-hmm. All of the right things had to happen over many years uh, and a lot of very, very, very hard decisions, right? Because you have different people when you're a service company than when you're a product company. Mm-hmm. And so there's been continuous times of us shaving lines of business that were too much of a distraction because we ultimately knew where we were working to get to. But the short answer is bootstrap to this point. Um uh, and really just having having a team that is really dedicated to a mission so we were able to fund it through some of the service work that we did but continue to shave that and then bridge that with the training that we had built and then bridge that with the early adopter sales of technology that then and keeping the team lean keeping the burn light we are not a team of overpaid people. Every single person on our team is dramatically underpaid from what they're worth on the market. Um, the goal is to move that along, but that goes back to one of the things that is at the core of everyone who's a part of this team. You know, the number one thing that drives us to solve this is not money. And, and the number one thing that solves us is that we, that drives us is that we can truly have an impact. We can make money along the way and we can build a huge company, a great company along the way but one of the things we always said at the launch of not even this company, the previous company is worry about adding value and the value of the company will take care of itself.
0: Ooh, I like that. I can almost hear the conversation. And- Joe walks up to Nina after the little contest you did. He's like, Hey, my name's Joe. Listen, I like you a lot. Um, listen, I can't really pay you anything, but I got this really cool idea. Can you come over here and help me and join, join me on this other.
1: <laughs> well, gonna, so I think this is it's really a, It's a testament to Joe's relationship building. Because I mean, I don't, there's not a single person on the team that joined, that Joe met yesterday. Um, These are all people that Joe has worked with in some way or another. Like they might not have been under the same umbrella and same Mm -hmm. paycheck, but like, you know, Joe and I spent two, three years, like developing a relationship because he was on my advisory board. Mm -hmm. Uh, He opened up his office space for me to build my own startup there and to learn and, and, and everything like that. Like the, the folks that are developing the product are people that Joe's known for over a decade, Joe, maybe more. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so, you know, these are, these are long-term relationships. And I think, you know, you can't underestimate the power of long-term relationships that are really built on trust and uh, respect and, you know, kind of understanding what is the unique value that each team member can bring and assembling that team together. So Joe's not gonna talk about how good he is at doing that but like that I think is one of the really unique things about how interview IA came together is that um, every person um, even though they might not have known each other for years um, they've all known uh, at least Joe for quite some time if not like multiple people have known each other for a very long time. Um, and I think that's really key to building a startup when you're bootstrapping is because there has to be Mm -hmm. that level of sacrifice and knowing like, are the people that are in the trenches with you willing to make those sacrifices too, because they also believe in what you're about to
0: do. Isn't it, isn't it amazing how if you just do the right thing and you, and you're good to people and you build relationships and you give, and uh, it's amazing how things come back your way, isn't it? It's wonderful how that works. So
2: true. (laughs) I wish
0: more people, I wish we, I wish more people would did that. So, so in the life cycle, then are you in a series a, or what are you calling it right now? This, this round?
2: I mean, it's a, it's a seed round. It's a bigger seed round, I <laughs> okay. but they're all, they'll blur together. Right? seed a now pre-seed we're not pre-seed, but um, you know, the great thing is uh, we're, we're calling it a seed round okay. and it is um, it's, it's exciting with the interest that we have right now. The fact that we could um, you know, likely close out the round before the end of the year is very nice. exciting as well. Uh, I, I, I'm, so proud of our team, even though we are bootstrapped, not a single person has missed a paycheck all year in the middle of COVID and everything. Awesome. Uh, that's, that speaks to, for one, everyone's willingness to do a, love, do a bit of sacrifice, right? We did cap salaries and kind of cap a little bit um, when we went into COVID, just because we weren't sure mm-hmm. how well the year would go. But also that's a good practice for you know the fundraise. When you bootstrap, right. you understand how fast every hundred thousand dollars goes or you understand that a million dollars is not that much money when you're running a business or two or three, right? It is okay. But you, that money goes fast when you're spending it on resources and other things like that. And so truly for the future state entrepreneurs that, you know, are, are, are listening to this understanding your burn is, is so important and knowing how to manage that. And, you know, Nina and I were talking about this a bit this morning, but knowing how to, create confidence in in people's create confidence within the team that financially they're going to be okay without ever hiding the fact that as a startup you never have as much money in the bank as you would like right <laughs> and so how do you do that and a lot of it is just through that honesty vulnerability but this rapid understanding that we're doing the right things and people can track trajectory right? They can see that, hey, we're here, we're here, we're here. If we end up here, well, then we ended up back here because we made some adjustments. And trajectory is very powerful, right? When you have things, you have that that tailwind, it just helps you. People have that faith. And when things keep happening and not magically, but they, you say they're going to happen or you talk about the strategy, and then it continuously comes to life in different versions, not exactly as you script it. But all that stuff builds confidence in the fact that we're a team that can execute and execute doesn't mean raise money, right? I'm not knocking like people who go and raise a bunch of money. That's part of what we do, but execute means once we raise the money, we have a strategy that is very thoughtful in how we are going to turn that money into a value accelerator within our business. And that gives people in the business and investors a lot of confidence.
0: Is Nina helping you raise cash? Is she having those conversations, asking people to write checks? (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, she's laying the foundation for so. Much. She has a strong network in the social investment group, and so that's kind of the angle she took and talked to them. We do have a big social mission. We don't believe one can live. We don't believe that they're separate. We can have a social mission and a um, growth mission as a startup. But um, yeah, she's definitely helping.
0: You know, when you're in that mode, right? You're trying to you're trying to operate the company. Well, you're trying to build the company. You're trying to operate the company, and you're trying to raise cash all at the same time. That's a tough job right? Because it, it can pull you in so many different directions. What is the model a monthly fee uh, per user? Or what, what's the model, if you don't mind?
2: It's basically, enterprise contracts based on company size. So yeah, okay. we, have, we have a back end model that helps us understand estimated usage. And wow. so small companies pay a certain amount, large companies pay a different amount based on how much usage we project that they're going to generate. So yeah, it's but it's monthly cost build annually. So we realize the cash of a annual contract within the year that we sell it.
0: And your target is small to medium, Fortune 500, all over the place, or what, what's your target?
2: 1,000 employees and above is the primary target. Uh, the the bigger, the more data they create, obviously, but I will say that um, 1,000 employees and above is, is is where we're at right now. Financial, Sector healthcare and technology. If you were to segment that out is kind of where we're seeing the most traction, but we're early on. So we're not like pigeonholing ourselves. It is a horizontal tool. Think DocuSign or SurveyMonkey, those types of platforms. We're horizontal. Everyone's doing interviews. Are we right for a 10 person company? No, but are we right for, you know, different companies that are at scale? Yes.
0: Okay. You guys, you have a biz dev specialty person or you're, you're doing, you guys are doing that together.
1: We are all wearing lots of different hats. And <laughs> I think that's, again, that's a testament to the nature of the team. So like, you know, when I, when I wear my hats, like I, I got a strategy hat, I got a marketing hat, I got a biz dev hat, I got a product hat. Uh, I think those are all the major hats that I wear right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really happy that I no longer have to do accounting or finance. hats. Right, <laughs> There are people on the team that love doing, love living in spreadsheets and <laughs> love doing it. And so I don't have to do those roles, but yeah, I mean, we all, uh, we, we've actually been able to build a team that, you know, everyone does wear multiple hats in some way. And some people have a, a bigger percentage of the time on, on specific hats, but I mean, it's, it's really a team that, um, is great for a startup because i think when you're kind of small bootstrapped um you you do need to just kind of work on a lot of different skills you can't Wait. go necessarily so deep in any one um because you have to as gaps appear and problems come up you know being a team that's very solution oriented and uh willing to kind of jump in where needed to support one another is is really is really critical
0: how many employees today Seven offshore, 10 offshore. Okay. All right. Very good. What about competition? Is there some super secret patented special sauce stuff here that nobody can copy? Or, or what about competition? Who wants to answer that one?
2: <laughs> I mean, there are a couple people that, I mean, the talent intelligence space is, you uh, is a growing area, right? And so I was reading a report the other day that said, you know, assessments have been growing. And so assessment space is like $4 billion market market size. Um, the talent assessment technology space is estimated to be over 20 billion um, in the next five years. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of companies that are jumping into technology that helps you assess people in some way, shape or form. Um, there's companies like HireVue that's doing video interviewing. So recorded video, send it in, it analyzes it and send it back, sends it back. Not what we do, definitely could be bolted onto what we do. Definitely could replace a phone screen, not likely to replace your entire um interview process. Mm-hmm. So direct competitors, um, there's a couple eightfold interview stream. There's a few that are popping out that are interview process tools. We all approach it differently. Okay. Um, so I think that's a good thing, but it is a position and a need that is, that is um, being realized in the space. We do what we are patent pending, but our strategy is not to protect our tech with patentability. That's hard in software. It's really just an understanding that um, market share, to Nina's point, usability is huge, not to be overlooked, Usability is part of our secret sauce, right? We intimately understand hiring. We have intimately solved these different problems within organizations over years. And when you think of usability, if you can get a new user within a company using a system, so hiring managers, they don't use the ATS, right? They might go in and click a disposition. If you capture new users, you have the ability or the opportunity to capture new data. If you capture new data, you can create new understandings and insights about the organization. That is not. um, Got it. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of. And
1: and just to add on to Joe, I think our methodology is also a really key differentiator between what's out there because, you know, we spent a lot of time um, kind of reading and doing research on what are the reasons why uh, certain people are not getting the same access to jobs as others. And so, um we we all read this book everyone on the team read this book called the end of average and it was recognizing and it it was one of those readings where joe did you find the book first or was it uh gary that found the book first i don't remember i don't know (laughs) but like one of one of the members on the team found it and then it was kind of like this is addressing a lot of the stuff that we're problem which is recognizing (laughs) that all of society the way we tackle problems is trying to get people to all look the same and not recognizing that we're all jagged we all perform differently under different contexts mm-hmm. and then we took that methodology that that kind of thinking and applied it to the way we're solving this specific problem around interviewing and how do you find the right people you know right now jobs are kind of like well let me look at your job history okay did you have your associate marketing job before you got your you know, middle level marketing job and then your senior level marketing job in order to become this VP of marketing. Um, You know, we're saying that like, you can actually have different skills that will lead you to this place. So for example, why can't a bartender be a really great customer service representative? They have the skills associated with being really good communicators, listening to people. They can probably easily get trained on whatever like system you're using to be able to do it and you know, our methodology is allowing companies to open up and differentiate mm-hmm. how they think about hiring entirely. So you can really focus on what is the intent behind every question and what are the skills that we're really looking for? And it forces a company to start thinking internally and start asking themselves these hard questions too. Um, and so that methodology is really a game changer as well.
0: I, I When I think of IA, I think of, um amplifying human skill, not replacing humans. Do I think of it the right way? Am I thinking of it yeah. the right
2: way? Yeah, spot on. So it's uh, it's interchangeably used as intelligence amplification or intelligence augmentation, but you're, you're spot on. We talk about it in, when you think about autonomous vehicles, right? AI is self-driving cars, IA, okay. driver assist. So okay. imagine if IA is everything focused on reducing human error. Right? If we've leaned into IA in automotives, we could probably reduce accidents by 99.9% if the human and the computer work together. Unfortunately, it's not as sexy to say, well, no, we just want the computer to drive itself, but our car to drive itself. But in our world of talent, there's been so many missteps in AI. Mm-hmm. So IA is actually a line of thinking that's been out there for just as long. It's just, I think, the less popular sibling but it still uses deep learning. It still uses machine learning, but the application of it is to exactly what you say, amplify the human behavior okay. hiring is such a human process. You can't remove us from that process. So let's, let's reduce our errors. Let's give us more insights and let's amplify our decision-making. You're spot on Steve. Yeah.
0: I really, I really appreciate that overview right there, Joe. You know, I've, I've had several people on the podcast that have companies that are building technology to let robots hire people. And I, and I just always, I think, you know, this is really a fascinating conversation, but I just can't imagine a world where only the AI is making decisions decision and no human is involved at any point. I just I Well, I
1: mean, the problem is like with that, that thinking too, is that, you know, AI can inherently be biased, right? Like the bad data in leads to bad data. Out. Right. And so AI exactly. and machine learning and stuff, like if, if it's not done the right way, um, mm-hmm. it can, continue to exacerbate inequities.
0: Great point. And so,
1: you know, one of the things that, the reason I think it's really important for us to lean into IA is that we need to recognize that data can help inform good decisions, but we also have to recognize kind of like, how are we using this data? How do we make sure that there's still a human element to everything that we're doing? Mm -hmm. So we can start addressing these these issues, these overall issues.
2: And and one thing to that point I'll say is when you think about the uncapped potential of humans, right? A computer is so far away from understanding the uncapped potential of a human. So when you think about that, let's say hiring, there's some interesting stuff out there. I mean, over the years, I've seen everyone trying to do everything from matching DNA to what job you should have, (laughs) all kinds of stuff right super interesting i don't know how much there's a correlation or causation to that but probably interesting i'm sure you could show me some data lines that show this dna (laughs) like whatever you could show me something but when you think of data and what it means a human can do let's just look at all the data around being an entrepreneur in no way shape or form is it a good idea right (laughs) (laughs) like all the data right you're gonna fail, this is a horrible idea, why do humans keep doing this? Like (laughs) all the data says bad idea. Yet the entrepreneurial spirit is what Mm. drives every huge thing that we create in this world. Mm. So how are you gonna tell me that a computer is gonna reach a point where it's going to see one of us and just put us in a box and that's gonna drive the best teams? No, the human element and making humans better and more intelligent in our selection is the way that we're going to get at least closer to hiring teams that truly have an impact. Cause when you look at that bartender and you actually have taken the time to better understand the criteria of what you're searching for, and then you see that special thing in that person where they have a 0.0%, 0.01% chance of making it on entrepreneur or whatever the percentage is, you select that person. And that's where if we can use technology to get closer to that line, it's, the same thing as that autonomous vehicle conversation. I guarantee you could build cars and humans that if they work together, we would not be having accidents and people would no longer die in cars. That is possible, but we can do that entirely. We're just not in the autonomous vehicle space. Maybe we should launch driving IA, (laughs) but that's (laughs)
0: <laughs> great overview. Great overview. You know, when I was studying the website and stuff, I thought, man, when I get these guys on the interview, are they going to start telling me that this is going to replace recruiters? And so, no, it's it's only amplify amplifying and helping and assisting and improving, which is great, which is fantastic news. It it is interviewia.com and you can buy the product right now. You can sign up for the service right now.
2: Correct? Correct. Okay. Correct.
1: Let's get into interviewing platform is, is launching in Q1 of next year, but you know, a key component of what we're doing is training as well. And so we've actually created an entire online curriculum that is available right now to actually start getting your interviewers ready. So interviewers can go in and actually start learning about how does subconscious bias play a role in their interactions with their folks? How can they start building more curiosity and empathy and start working on their conscious communication skills so they can be better interviewers right now? Mm-hmm. And we're actually lo- we're launching more pieces of curriculum on like actual interview training and like how to be better interviewers as well through the online curriculum that um, is, is accessible right now.
0: I love the fact that you're doing that training. I think that's absolutely critical. Because the subconscious bias deal, it's real. I mean, for, for anybody listening out there, that thinks that that's, that's not real. No, it's real. It's real. I can tell you because it, it even happened to us here at Riderflex when we started the podcast. Uh, we I had somebody on the podcast at one point, and um, he uh, she said she said, "By the way, I'm your first female guest podcast, and you've had like 25 people on." <laughs> and I was and I and I remember that day, uh, and and I thought to myself damn you're right i hadn't even really thought about it there there you go subconscious bias right i was calling my friends mm-hmm. i was calling the business people that i hang out with and because they're in my quote circle
2: totally and yeah, uh you exactly.
0: know and i'm like wow well, this is how that's how this works yeah this is a real thing it was the same thing for my advisory board i remember uh, on my advisory board guess what the first five guys i had on my advisory board were middle-aged white guys that own businesses because that's who i knew and then yeah. i had somebody mention that to me too and we've we've fixed that. We've, we've, we've improved that already. It's gotten a lot better. It still needs more improvement, but it is true. It is it's a real thing. The subconscious is you just, you're just kind of, well, these are the guys that I was hanging out with, hanging out with on the playground. So I guess they'll be on my board and I don't think any further past that. Uh, and when you get, when you get training around that, I think it does make a difference. So I appreciate what you're doing. It is, it is a good thing. Absolutely. So entrepreneurship, um, I wanna ask you a couple of questions here. So Joe, what advice would you give a couple of aspiring entrepreneurs listening to this episode, thinking about starting their own business? What would you tell them? I know you could do an entire episode on that, but two or three things you wanna share?
2: Um, yeah, uh, make sure that whatever you're doing, you truly have passion for. That's the biggest thing that I tell people. Um, and. And understand that you truly are in control of your own destiny. One of the things that you can do is go so far down a rabbit hole that you work yourself into another job. You're an entrepreneur with a job. And I always tell people, why would you build a company that you don't want to be a part of? So stay true to what it is that you're doing. Um, And I think that, I think you can do that when you don't only chase money. You have to chase top line revenue. You have to chase cash flow, right? That's part of being business. You don't have to chase the money. And I think that's one of the biggest things it's um and that points that goes into my second point it's going to be harder it's going to take longer and it's going to be more painful than you think um, i could be wrong but i'm 99 percent right on that <laughs> right yeah you might be the one who calls and is like joe was so wrong it's it was so much easier than i thought but it's harder it's going to take longer and it's going to be more painful which means when you wake up in the morning and you have a knot in your stomach because you have to look at the bank account, you just made payroll and you gotta do it again in another two weeks. Like when you have those moments and those moments don't pass as rapidly as you would like, like you have to have something that keeps you going and that has to be a belief in truly whatever it is that you're trying to build. And, and I always say, it doesn't matter what it is. I don't have to think it's a great idea. I don't have to be passionate about it, but you have to. You ha- you're the only person who has to be on your train and put it in gear every day. And I used to tell people that, anyone who told me about starting a business, I said, what have you done today to get it going? Because you can't just wait for people to jump on. I've never seen at, Denver, <laughs> at Union Station, I've never seen people running and pushing people out of the way to get on a train that's not moving. Like <laughs> people like that train hasn't moved in two weeks. No one wants <laughs> to get on a, on a train that's not going anywhere. But as soon as it says, this train's leaving in 30 seconds, what do you see? People run, they jump on that train, and that's what you have to be as an entrepreneur. Put it and go. Sometimes you're alone. Sometimes you have people for one or two stops. Sometimes you have people for the whole journey. But either way, put it and go and believe in where you're going, and it'll work.
0: Sometimes it may actually be dark ahead, and you can't really see the tracks, but you still have to keep going.
2: (laughs) Still have to go. Still have to go.
0: Nina, any any specific uh, fun, scary moments you want to share with us? Uh, you know, you waking up outside, looking out, looking outside to see if your car's still there because you wonder if somebody <laughs> repossessed it or anything. Anything you want to share?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the scary moments really just come when you're kind of faced with the daunting task of everything that you want to achieve. And there's this uh fear, the fear. Fear of failure is something that I think that we don't really talk about a lot, um, because we we live in a culture where the failure, you know, we're we're told that you know failure is, is a bad thing, you know, right. and um and I think there's a there's a flip that we need to do around that and really start thinking about what does what does failure mean and then what what do we do with that information and so. Um, you know, I was talking to this uh, judge down um, in Mississippi, and he's the president elect of the National Bar Association. And um, he ran for the National Bar Association three times. And he's like, You know who else ran for president three times? Joe Biden. <laughs> and he lost <laughs> two of those three times. And yep. Judge Moore also ran three times to be president of the National Bar Association, and he lost the first two times as well.
0: Most
2: people. And do uh, so. like well- Joe.
0: Sorry. Sorry. I was going to say most people do have many, many failures. That's just not what's in the press. That's not what you see on on their profile.
1: Exactly. And Joe (laughs) mentioned he had startups before doing this. I also had startups before doing this. And I think, you know, I think that's really important for every entrepreneur to understand and internalize is that failure is a part of this journey. Um, You can recontextualize your failure as learning opportunities. And uh, just because something doesn't get off the ground, uh, it's okay um, because that has given you the information you need. And then I do think the second thing is really the people that you surround yourself with are really gonna be the things that drive you forward too. Like similar to having the, you know, having that passion, that drive internally. It's not to say that you need to have a, a co-founder or you know, a, te- a team of people that work with you on a day-to-day basis. That's always great. But also like really thinking about your support system in terms of just like your, your friends and family, and how can you really leverage that to keep yourself going? Because self-care is really key to the entrepreneurial journey as well. And so that's a real important part that we don't talk about enough that we need to
0: address. We could do an entire episode on self-care and mental health and physical health. It's all of it. We could do it, we could do a whole mm-hmm. show show on that about entrepreneurs. Last question for you, Nina. I know we're almost out of time. One more question for you. Um, if you could call that young lady coming out of NYU and tell her anything based on what you know now, what would you tell her?
1: You know, I've actually, I've thought about that. I've thought about that. Uh, and um, I think it's one of those things where uh, I would not necessarily give her any advice. I think okay. the the way to go about life is to just kind of like, like I said, you just figure things out as you go. And um you know, just continue to keep on learning. I've always had that desire to always learn more. So, um, and I just have this real deep curiosity about people and and things and history and everything about it. And so, um, I guess, you know, I, I would say stick to that, but I don't think I would really have to tell her that
0: <laughs> Joe last question for you. If you had to define your core purpose in life and put it in a sentence, but I asked you not to tie that to family. So let's talk, uh, professional core purpose in life what would that sound like
2: help all people find purpose through work i don't believe that that's above anyone's pay grade that's good yeah
0: that's good i like that
2: yeah there's a story of the janitor at nasa i really don't know where this story comes from but the janitor at nasa where everyone asks what do you do for a living and he says i launch rockets into the sky he understood he found purpose and he was cleaned you know, the the space at NASA, but he, core, he understood how much a clean facility mm-hmm. was essential to launching rockets in the sky. I've met so many people. And sometimes my favorite question is like, why do you do what you do when I see that they've been there forever? And it's a job that I'm like, you could easily go make more money. You could easily go do this. It's not chasing that general path of happiness that go after more things, more money, more professional things like find that passion. And I believe since work is an essential part of life, my mission is to help everyone have an opportunity to find passion through work.
0: Awesome stuff. Joe, Nina, thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. This was great. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button. If you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to hit that little bell next to the subscribe button so you can be notified when we release a new episode. Our show features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. You can visit RiderFlex.com to learn more about us and get information on the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.